0: Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to episode three of the Disney at Work podcast, an extension of disneyatwork.com. I am your moderator, David Zanola, joined by J. Jeff Cober, owner and operator of disneyatwork.com. Go okay, ahead. Okay, just
1: call me Jeff. Just call me Jeff. He has this thing about sir and mister. Just call me Jeff. It's a first name company. So it's a, just call me Jeff. It's and this so the reason this happens is because there's an actor named Jeff Kober who actually owns the domain, so I have to call my website jjeffkober.com. But, uh, and in fact, I actually didn't know my first name was James until my seventh birthday, but therapy has helped, and I'm okay at this point. On that now what I will say though you had mentioned this is the third podcast this is actually our fifth podcast we threw out one and then we realized on this one we hadn't been taping I hadn't been taping for about 15 minutes so we are just brand new to this thing but stay with us because I think we have some great messages and our messages are not just fun stuff about Disney although we do talk about a lot of fun stuff at the parks but it's also about what it means to your own organization. So really, that's that's what comes at the heart of this. Um, we'll want to give you a chance to also take a look at DisneyAtWork.com, where we'll host this uh, podcast and also have some other additional materials to kind of help you think through what organizational lessons are there for you. Um, we, uh, we've put a little time between our two podcasts because actually I was gone last week doing a... Uh, Cruise. Uh, we'd taken our family on a five-day cruise on the Disney Dream. It was fantastic. An opportunity uh, for my in-laws to experience Disney Cruise Line for the first time. They were wowed by the experience. It was so very cool, and it made me think a lot about this topic, which I knew we were going to cover. But, but um, it's a, <laughs> the the one of the jokes on board the ship is that is that when it comes to Pirates of the Caribbean night and they do the, the fireworks, they say, notice all the other ships <laughs> out at sea. And sure enough, there were four other um, cruise line ships out at sea. And, um, and uh, they are all taking advantage of seeing the fireworks. So they all came nearby. couldn't see them the next day, but, but sure enough, they were there during the fireworks. You know, Disney, does, Disney is an expensive cruise line to go on. If you've priced it, uh, you know that to be the case compared to going on Royal Caribbean or Carnival or one of these others. But one of the things that they do that makes this work so well is that this, they have this all-inclusive packaging where most of the things, I mean, Paulo and Remy are additional, but really, first time I ever took a cruise was not a Disney cruise line. It was Royal Caribbean. And not sooner had we walked into this beautiful atrium, they hit up my they hit up my son and I for the all-you-can-drink soda cup for the entire week, which turns out that we would have died of thirst if we had not bought this cup. And, um, and, and you feel nickel and dimed when you are on these other cruise lines. Um, they, they, if they can find a way to charge you for something extra, they will do that. I, took, I had the experience of running the 5K last week with the Disney Cruise Line, And, um, and when you, when you go at Disney marathon, um, it's usually about $85 to do that on the Island. It was included in the packaging. So much is included in the packaging. Again, it's an expensive package, but they package it toward their loyal customers who know that, they're willing to pay because it's Disney. They love all things Disney and they're willing to pay it. And they just simply bundle those things rather than nickel and diming them on every single thing uh, later on. Now, we mention all this because what has happened, David, over the last couple of months, Bob Chapek has come forward and it seems like they are trying as hard as they can to increase revenues, increase per caps, and they're trying all sorts of initiatives. And even in the last week or two since I've been gone, some of those uh, things have come into play. Uh, Let's talk about some of those.
0: Yeah, so there's actually three things that I would say are really at the front of this movement uh, to increase per caps at the Disney parks specifically. So on the West Coast at Disneyland in Anaheim, California, two new initiatives have begun in an attempt to do this. The first one of them is the announcement of what is being referred to as Disneyland Max Pass. And we will link to all of these articles uh, in the show notes on DisneyAtWork.com uh, very shortly after this podcast goes live. Uh, basically what happened is Disneyland has announced what you may the, the best way to do is compare it to uh, Fast Pass Plus in Walt Disney World, but maybe Fast Pass Plus Lite. Uh, for those who don't know and who have not been to Anaheim and have only been to Orlando, in, in Anaheim, uh, at the Disneyland and Disney California Adventure Parks, the Fast Passes are still what Disney fans refer to as legacy Fast Passes. In other words, you use your park ticket, you go to a Fast Pass kiosk or a machine, you stick in your park ticket, and you get your Fast Pass with a return time for the ride. Well, Disneyland has announced that sometime later this year, and they haven't given a specific date for when that's going to happen, but they are basically going to uh, begin a program where guests can pay an additional $10 a day. And upon entering the turnstiles to Disneyland or Disney California Adventure, they will then be able to book Fast Passes, on a smartphone app without having to walk to the actual attraction itself. It does not suggest whether or not this will uh, entitle them to more fast passes than the general guest general fast passes will still be available in the paper format but they will be able to basically have to stop that rat race that so many of us know who are disney fans trying to go run to the specific attraction or send one chump as i'm always the one in my family to grab all of the park tickets for everybody and go ahead to get those fast passes shortly after they made this announcement almost like 3 weeks later uh, they announced the addition of a $15,000 dining experience in a private suite inside of Disneyland in New Orleans Square where a uh, quote-unquote special one-of-a-kind meal prepared by Disneyland's executive chefs can be had for up to 12 people in this private suite. Can you tell us a little bit about either of those two initiatives over in Disneyland?
1: Well, what's interesting about those, and I, I would refer to Kevin Yee's Article a couple of weeks ago in Mice Chat, he did a great job of breaking down the price of that fifteen thousand dollar dinner. I've had to deal with top executives and taking them to a very high end kind of experience to try to wow them and so forth. Fifteen thousand, especially because it is inclusive of many things such as parking and attraction pa- and admission to the parks and so forth. That to me isn't so unreasonable. Um, especially because most guests are not going to know that somebody's paid 15,000 to have a special meal. Uh, what really bothers me is the idea that we're starting to charge for a Fast Pass um, through this Disneyland Max Pass thing. And if you roll back a little bit, you may recall that when Disney FastPass came out, uh, Universal copied the experience by offering its Express Pass. But they only lasted about two or three years before Universal did a turnaround and started to make that an upsell item. I really would hate to see this become an upsell item at Disney. I think that would impact the guest experience terribly. And you know, you know, if you've been in the queues of these attractions at, at the Disney parks, they will try as best they can to separate the FastPass queue from the standby queue so you don't see... So you don't see how how fast the fast pass is moving and how slow the the standby queue is moving. This is adding even more uh, fuel to the fire, I think. And I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a good approach for Disney to take, but it's only one of so many other things. Uh, They've introduced this idea of preferred parking out in the parks. They've introduced the idea of cabanas out in the parks they've introduced the idea of after-hour parties where you just simply pay you did come early into the park or stay later in the park for a fee um above and beyond even the halloween parties which has gotten to a point where it's really hard as an annual pass holder at walt disney world living in the central florida area to find an evening to go to walt disney world because so many of the nights are taken up by other things um uh you're seeing uh, park hopping, transportation backstage, and so forth. You're just seeing a lot of these upselling efforts, and not all of them are 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 living on to see a second day. Um, some, I think, they're just trying to try things out, but um, I think it's leaving a bad taste in people's mouths, and I don't think it's it's helping Disney's image to try to upsell here, there, and everywhere. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, actually, just about 10 days ago from the date that we're recording this podcast, they announced in Orlando uh, a new, what they're calling a VIP tour. The official name of it Mm. is the Ultimate Disney Classics VIP Tour the idea is is that you're uh, the quote unquote it includes access to at least 10 attractions and they are considered to be classic attractions Peter Pan's flight it's a small world and that's that's $200 so for $200 per person in addition to theme park admission. So you already have to get into the park, but this tour is going to be uh, an additional $200 for people that want to make sure that they get on those specific attractions. There are many, many opportunities. Uh, Dessert parties are another one. Now, for me, uh, I'm a type Mm. 1 diabetic, and so paying uh, $50, $60, $70, however much it might be, to be able to stand at a very large buffet of basically liquefied or solidified sugar in its many different forms, <laughs> I mean, doesn't really doesn't really entice me. Because if you think about it, for my family then, you're talking close to to $300 by the time you're all said and done to be able to get that reserve viewing. I'm not saying that that's a bad spend for people. But the idea is there do seem to be, in the last few years, different opportunities popping up for people that have the, the financial means to be able to pay for these uh, different types of experiences that, quite frankly, just were not there before. It's not that they were very slim. There were not as many of these uh, experiences uh, that that had been available, and they just seem to be coming more and more and more and more.
1: Moreover, it takes up real estate that people have enjoyed so the tomorrowland terrace um section a lot of families just gathered there in the evenings grabbed a meal and gathered there and watched the fireworks now eh, you can't be there unless you're paying for the upgrade now have you done Paulo and remy on the cruise
0: ships uh, i had done lunch at Palo, but I have we have never done Remy and part of it is because for those who have never been on a Disney cruise, one of the things that makes a Disney Cruise line unique is that every evening for your main dining experience your servers you have two servers assigned to your table and they actually travel with you to all of the different restaurants so your servers on night one are the exact same servers on nights two three four and whatever it is and with small children we really love building relationships with those servers and so we have never seen it to be uh financially uh meaningful enough for us to spend the additional, you know, seventy-five dollars or whatever. I, th- I think it's about seventy-five dollars or so per person to go to the upscale restaurant Remy, which is on the two uh, newer ships, the the Dream and the Fantasy. And I think
1: the Apollo is a little less, maybe half that. Um, and and we haven't either, uh, partly because we have uh, kids that we're usually with, but but my in-laws absolutely love those same servers that you mentioned. That was the highlight of their experience. So I think it would have been disappointing for them to have gone upstairs, but. But I don't mind that so, so much. It's an option to go. You still have a great evening at Animator's Palette or wherever restaurant you are down below. I don't feel like I'm missing something. Now, on the other hand, let's take let's take another example of all inclusive packaging. It used to be when you got a certain annual pass, you were given uh, free parking. Disney's turned that around and said regardless of. Your pass you got free parking which was a smart idea because some families one person would get the higher end pass and then the rest of the family would get the lower end pass to make it affordable uh, and then the person you know with the, with the higher end pass would pay for the would show their show their pass again parking now everybody with an annual pass gets in free parking uh, the same thing they've added the photo pass free photo pass to most of the annual pass holder Uh, um, situation and that is a nice addition that I really like Um, with Disney Vacation Club they've added as an extra little bonus a DVC lounge at Epcot and for annual pass holders at Disneyland they've been doing pass holder days that have been phenomenally successful and people stand in line just to get that little button for the electrical parade and they're loving that They love those kinds of things, options added on. I was at, um, we took out an annual pass this year for SeaWorld. And I was very impressed that they had taken one of their former locations and had turned it into an annual pass holder lounge. Um, And had uh, one of those beverage machines where you could choose a thousand different kinds of Coca-Cola beverages and so forth. And had a great place where you just lounge and take it easy and so forth. It was a great little location at SeaWorld. I thought with all the different locations they have at Epcot and other places, to have an annual pass holder lunch, they've done that kind of for the food and garden with those who had a Citibank or Visa or some kind of credit card. They could go to a little lounge type place. Why not do that with annual pass holders? They, those make a difference, especially among your customers who are some of the most loyal Um And even SeaWorld also has added an interesting thing um, where they've provided an annual past member dining plan, which for like $75, $80 per person, you then are entitled to a free meal, like an entree drink and dessert every time you visit SeaWorld for the following year. If you go once a month, that is a great value by the time you've gone through a year. So I love the ideas of... Of creating all-inclusive packaging, or creating value in an upsell, but when you get to these nickel-and-diming things, they're not going to work for you long-term. And that's not a place where I think, I think Disney really wants, should be. Um, we've listed this in in our Disney at Work blog, but I want to cover some of these because I think there's some good insights for your organization about how you price things to your customers. First of all communicate. Don't surprise. Tell people up front what you're doing. Nothing ticks off a customer more than what they thought was once was free is now costing them money. And now they're having to shell out something they weren't planning on shelling out for. So communicate. Two, be careful of appearances. Avoid looking like you're nickel and diming, which is simply charging something for that was once free or offered as free by others. Hawking something feels like nickel and diming. I like, I'm okay, I've never taken out a visa at one of those visa stands in the parks. I don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem when I'm in other parks and they're trying to hawk it on me. Again, it creates the wrong appearance for your organization. Three, offer value. The difference between nickel and diming and upgrading is the additional value you now attached to that product and service. So think about not just simply charging them for something they were already getting for free, but charge them for something extra and additional that they wouldn't have had before. Four, don't sell short. Upsell when you have something to offer, not because you're trying to raise per caps and thus revenues before the end of the next quarter and you don't have a better idea of how to milk out the money out of your customers. Okay? you got to live for the long term. You can't just be trying to fix the next quarter's uh, bottom line. So don't sell short. Five, minimize the impact. Regular paying guests don't want to see that their experience has now been altered because you've upselled the product to others. Again, going back to that Tomorrowland Terrace with the dessert party, eh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't see the fireworks from there anymore because, oh, now you gotta pay $50. Minimize that impact, uh, um, especially to the regular paying customer. And six, and I think the most important package for the most faithful. They're going to, if they love you, they're going to pay. They're going to be willing to pay that higher pricing. So bundle um, underneath that. Higher pricing that is all inclusive works well for your most loyal customers. They're willing to pay a higher price to get something that's exclusive for them and that makes them feel like they are valued as uh, customers. Now, You know, not everybody's a retail retail store, not everybody's a a restaurant. You may be sitting here and saying, well, how does this really, you know, apply to my customers? But think about that because we all charge our customer in some way or the other. A great example um, of this is that um, there was an article in uh, Forbes uh, just recently that asks the question does disneyland provide a guide to the future of personalized medicine and just reading the first couple of sentences here disneyland and other amusement parks often charge a high entrance price at the gate but low prices are nothing at all for the rides inside which has been true for many years um in healthcare, personalized medicines often have the same two-part pricing companion diagnostic tests are at the gate and drug therapies are the rides unlike at Disneyland however ownership of the game and rights is often separated and pricing for personalized medicine tends to be reversed with low cost for diagnostic tests with higher price drugs pricing personalized medicines more like amusement parks but joint ownership of tests and drugs and higher diagnostic prices with lower drug prices maybe could enhance innovation in personalized medicine a space that's um, been lagging uh, relative to past forecasts on on major advances for patients. So you see, even something as crazy as medicine can kind of learn some lessons from how do you do the pricing and how do you look at that? The important point of this, the detail is you can't charge for something. You're not offering really good value. You won't get your customers to the return. They, No matter what you charge them, at the end of the day, they've got to say, was it worth the price? Did I get value from it? If they did and they got great value from it, they'll come back. Um, If they did, but it was just so-so, they might go to a competitor. And if they didn't, you can plan on them going to a competitor. So again, great lessons here. Uh, We'll see how Disney goes in the days and months ahead with this whole thing with upselling and nickel and diming. Hopefully they'll come back to their senses and do much more in terms of all-inclusive packaging. But uh, uh, you tell us, write us and tell us what does it look like for your organization? What has been your experience at Disney? Are, have you liked the backstage park hopping? Have you liked the, uh, did you try the cabanas or did you like the, you know, the, uh, the dessert parties? Uh, have you tried that $15,000 meal? We want to hear from you. And if you want to invite us to that $15,000 meal to try it out and to see if it's worth the price, we uh, will come join you on that. So. If,
0: we have, if we have to suffer through a $15,000 meal in the name of podcast research, I suppose we will. And know
1: that there's more on this um, on at Disneyatwork.com. Uh, this this is the purpose of why we do our blogs they're a little different than you know hey how do you get the best ticket and how do you you know get the best uh, shortest waits in line we're a little different in terms of a disney blog but we talk about ideas that you can actually think and apply back to your own organization so
0: All of these things that we've talked about today, uh, these articles that we have mentioned about different upselling uh, techniques in use currently uh, at the Walt Disney theme parks, as well as the article that Jeff recently mentioned in Forbes, we will have listed on Disneyatwork.com on the show notes page. We do encourage any of you to write us if you have any questions or if you have any comments about things that we've discussed. You can write us at podcast at Disney at And that is also where you will be able to answer uh, the trivia question that we have for this episode, which will be coming very shortly. We thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you will keep listening. You may always subscribe in iTunes to our podcast. Just go in the search box. And search for Disney at Work. And you can hit subscribe there as well as find our older episodes. And we also encourage any of you that are listening, if you would please give us a rating. Because that's a way that there is more visibility. And that's a way other people that may just be searching for new business podcasts or new Disney related podcasts. That they can find out what other people are listening to. So that's a great way to spread the word. Thank you very much for joining us on episode three. And we look forward to sharing more best in business practices from the happiest place on earth when we return with episode four. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: It is now time for our Disney at work trivia moment. If you think you know the answer to this question, please email us at podcast at disneyatwork.com In the subject of the email, you can write Trivia Question Episode 3, and we will pick randomly among those who have answered the question correctly, and you will win a free signed copy of Jeff Kober's book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. So, the question for show number three is, last week on Episode 2, we mentioned an attraction coming to Disney's Typhoon Lagoon. The original title given was Misfortune Falls, but Imagineers, thinking better about the title of that slide should someone get hurt on it, changed the name to another title. What is the new title of the attraction at Typhoon Lagoon? Again, if you think you know the answer, please email us at podcast at Disney at work.com. As always, you can find the show notes and related links for episode number three at disneyatwork.com. You can find disneyatwork.com on Facebook and on Twitter. And please be sure to head over to iTunes to rate and review the podcast. We would greatly appreciate the help. Have a good day.